kind of get back into the context of where we're at. Has by a show of hands, have you ever had to lead a team, whether that's a team a, a team at work or you're a coach of a sports team, you're a team captain or you're like the one in charge of the project? Show of hands, if you've ever had to lead a team. So, okay, great. Okay, now that's that's everyone almost. Okay, so and then have you ever ha um, on your team those who are not really team players? Okay, great. Yeah, no show of hands there needed. <laughs> hey, man, you know. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so um, something that I wanted to just look at, big picture, observe is right now on the mission, chapter fifteen. God sovereignly shuffled the teams. There was a disagreement. There's now not one team of Paul and Barnabas. They split. And we learn that God is still providential over those problems. It's because the teams get shuffled and sometimes not everyone's a team player or sometimes the team is not working so well in that particular moment. It doesn't mean the game's over. It doesn't mean the battle's pow. And it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't win. And so I want us to kind of look at this as because what we're seeing in chapter 16 is another team member getting added to the team. And I love, at least with Paul and Barnabas, when they split, Paul goes this way, Barnabas goes this way. Notice that both these guys aren't like, oh, I'm going to do just my own self then. I'm going to solo this one. No, Barnabas takes John Mark, and then Paul takes who? Silas. I love that these men are mature and sound and in tune with the Spirit enough to know that the Christian fight, the Christian faith, it's not a one-man team. It's not a solo journey. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Proverbs 18.1 says, if you isolate yourself, you're just out for your own selfish gain, and you refute all sound judgment. In our journey through this life, I love that Paul wants to surround himself with men in the faith. He wants to fight side by side. He doesn't want to be alone and isolated on this mission. And something I want us to really see big picture is that Jesus makes the teams. He's going to decide who is going to walk alongside you for a particular season, for however long that is. I, w I wonder if Paul and Barnabas thought they were going to be on mission for the rest, to, to the end, to the rapture, bro. You know, I don't know. But God in his sovereign providence, he just, there was a shuffle. And, and I think for a lot of us in this journey of faith, it's just, it was very ministering for me to realize that that Jesus makes the team. Jesus brings the men and women in my life that I'm going to walk through this life with. I'm going to fight the good fight of the faith with. Jesus is bringing it. Even right now in this room, if you have faith to believe that God is that sovereign and powerful, he is networking you and connecting you with individuals in this place for great reasons. It's all for his reason, but he's doing this. And I love that in this chapter, Paul has the eyes to see that the mission's not over. And, okay, I got Silas on my team, and, oh, but I, I, I want more. I want to bring another team member on. So we're going to see another team member hop in, and we're going to see that this team member is so, so, so awesome. He's the kind of guy you want on your team. He's the kind of a team, team player that we want to aspire to be. So I want to glean from that. But before we get straight to Timothy... I want us to see how this young man came about to being the way he was. And it's going to be through his mom. Family discipleship. So let's walk through this. We're going to see a number of other things, but that's just kind of big picture looking down. The Lord is building the team, and the Lord builds the church. 
right? Let's, let's get in. Verse 1, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. Pause. I'm a slow reader. It would do you well to read slow as well because all scripture is breathed out by God. This is, these are not fly-by words. He came to Derby and to Lystra. What does that mean? They're cities. Well, what does that mean? This is not like, and he went to Ia and then he went to Pro City. This is like, and, and, and he took an Uber. When Paul came to Derby and to Lystra, it's like Paul went to Haleiva by foot nine times. Nine times. 270 miles. Yeah. So, what, so it's, it's crazy. You read through scripture and you just got to like pause and feel it. Paul loved the church with all his strength. You got to think, 270 miles. By the time he finishes this missionary journey, guess how much mileage he's going to have on his feet? You're waiting for it, right? You're still waiting, yeah? 2,700 miles by foot and boat. That's mileage, man. Phrases like this in Scripture, I just don't want to breeze by. We're not going to stay here too long, but I want us to see that Paul was a man who wrote 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your soul. This guy's a soldier for Christ. He, like, Human, humans sing songs of such great boasts in their devotion for people. They talk about, you know, like just, you know, ain't no man's in high enough. Ain't no valley long enough. I'm only one call away. I'm the Superman. I'll just, I'll save the day. You know, like, like I will cross the ocean for you. I'll go and bring you the moon. Like, you know, like, like humans speak of such great drastic affection and love for, but honestly, I wonder how long that song will last. You really cross the ocean, you really go and bring the moon. Like, humanly speaking, I think for humans, it's just singing. Paul has this extravagant kind of love for God's people. He doesn't just sing a song like that. He literally does it. 270 miles through mountainous terrain, risking his life just to get the word of God to a people. Now, just, I don't want to stay here too long, but where does Paul learn that kind of love? Amen. We love because he first loved us. Just ask yourself, do you love one another with all your strength in light of God's love for you? See, Paul is controlled by love. 2 Corinthians 5.14, he says, the love of Christ controls us. I'm compelled by it. I can't help but give myself hardcore with all my strength to the work of God and the people of God. Why? Paul goes such great lengths for these people because he knows Christ went great lengths, unfathomable lengths for Paul. He's the one who said Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. This is what drove Paul every step of the way. Don't read and look at this and be like, wow, Paul is really just a beast, strong guy, and I'm mad. No, it's driven by a love that he received first from Christ. 
I think that's noteworthy. And I think that was challenging me this week as to really, it's easy to say, I love you. But does my life show it? Will I inconvenience myself? Will I sweat to encourage you? Would we do that for one another? That's the type of man Paul was and is, and we aspire to be. Let's keep going. So Lystra Derby, and then a disciple was there. A disciple is a what? Follower of Christ, a student of Jesus Christ. It is a Christian. Acts 11, Christians, the disciples were called Christians at Antioch. So a disciple was there, and the brother's name was Timothy. We've already talked about him much in observation, and we should. He becomes a huge person in Paul's life and ministry. We already mentioned this. He considers this young man as a son. And it says that he was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. His father was a Greek. Who's this Jewish woman? I love that the women are going to go through MacArthur's book, 12 Extraordinary Women of the Bible. I don't know if this woman is in that book. I don't know if MacArthur brings up this woman. Her name is Eunice. I'll tell you where I found it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. It says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois. So now we know Timmy's grandma's name. Grandma Lois or Jima or Nana, Nana Lois. And your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Timothy's mother, Eunice. Motherhood. To be a mom. There are certain callings and titles and God-ordained like, calls in the scripture that I think today is losing its weightiness. Losing its wonder, losing the, the massive holiness of it, and motherhood is one of them. I don't want anyone, I don't want myself to ever think small of mom. Don't think small of, of motherhood. Like Sister Mel said earlier, it is powerful. And I pray that the Bible redeems such a turn. Because we're reading now in 2 Timothy 1 that Timothy was actually, in fact, discipled by his mom. The Timothy who was spoken well of by the brothers. The Timothy who was so desired for the mission by the Apostle Paul. He was discipled by his mom. In 2 Timothy 1.5, we already see that Timothy was born into a rich history and heritage of believing women. Faithful women, sincerely. It says, I'm reminding, reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy. Paul writing to Timothy. A faith that first dwelt. I love how Paul writes that. First in your grandmother. And then in your mother. So who discipled your mother? Grandma. A, these women are bomb. Grandma passed the gospel on to Eunice. And Eunice passed the gospel on to Timothy. I want to look at where it says sincere faith. This is, where, this is where Timothy's coming from. He had a mom who was genuine. That's sincere in the Greek. 
legit, without hypocrisy. Sincere what? Genuine faith. Faith in who? Christ. Real trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of Lois's sins and Eunice's sins. These women were alive in faith. Notice the word says dwelt. It dwelt first. It was alive, to live, to abide. It's a word of, it's active. You know the word of God is living and active? Jesus says, if the word of God does not abide in you, you're not my disciple. These women embodied that. They were that. Don't you love that kind of women? I do. I was raised by one. I love my mom. And I love that she's here. Her legacy to me is faithful, prayerful, gentle, Reader, 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 reader. Just always reading. I have so much images in my mind of my mother just reading. And most times the Bible. She has her other fun stuff too. But she's always reading. This is the kind of woman, mother, grandmother, Timothy had. I want to go to another verse. Because Paul talks much about Timothy's mom. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's take a closer look. How did Eunice raise Timothy? Luke just mentions she was a believer, but Paul brings her up many times. And I want us to see that Timothy was a product of family discipleship. So as you turn there, go 2 Timothy chapter 3. I wonder... How many of us here can say, my mom, my, my dad, discipled me? However little or much that was. My mom, my dad, taught me things in the faith. However little or however much that was. Remember, Timothy had both. He had a believing mother, but he had a non-believing father. And so whether you have physical parents that are pouring the faith into you or, or a spiritual parent like Paul will be for Timothy. I don't want us to think light of motherhood and fatherhood, but for, for our study tonight, motherhood. Let's see how Eunice discipled Timothy. Verse 14, he says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Hold firm in your convictions on the faith of Christ Jesus, Timothy. Don't you, don't you dare let it go. And remember who you learned it from. In verse 15, he says, how from childhood, childhood. You're thinking like preschool, kindergarten? No. Childhood, brephos, it's the unborn child. In Greek, it's the embryo, the fetus, the infant babe. That's how far back this goes. Huh? And that's right. The Bible says that the fetus, the embryo, is a child. It's not tissue. It's a person. And you've got to imagine, from the womb, it says, what was Eunice doing? 
acquainting with sacred scripture. The first thing I want to see is when Eunice discipled Timothy, she did it by starting as early as possible. So when we see our pregnant mommies that come to service and they're sitting here, those babies in there soaking it all up. They're just getting all of that word of God in there. You got to imagine Eunice just as she's rubbing her belly, reading scripture to Timothy, singing songs of Christ to Timothy. She started as early as possible. In this room, we have future mothers, aspiring mothers. We have men who will be praying for women. Aspire for this. You know, there's a lot of images that I think young women would have of what it's going to be like to be a mom, and I hope this would be one of them. You, from as early as possible, doing what? Acquainting with sacred scripture. Acquaint, a word of to perceive, to discern, to notice, to discover. Just expose. Just let Timothy see it, Eunice. Just even if he doesn't sit still during family worship time, or even if he's not listening, just shower it over. Just shower him with what? Sacred scripture. I love that Paul says it's sacred. It's holy. It's powerful. The word of God is living and active. The word of God, it, when it goes out, it accomplishes what it desires, even if you don't think it. This is why we must pray for our children in this church. Shower them with sacred, holy scripture. Eunice discipled Timothy by starting as early as possible, but she also did by showering him with the word of God. I think many of us in this room are products of that. We may not have wanted to hear it at the time. We may not have understood it. But it didn't go empty. It wasn't for nothing. And then it says which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Eunice discipled Timothy by showing him the way of salvation, by showing him that you are saved, Timothy, by grace through faith in Christ. She read Bible stories about David and Goliath and Moses and Noah. They read the Old Testament. Eunice read these stories to young Timothy in such a way that it was able to make him wise for salvation. Eunice did not disciple young Timothy and train him up by just reading him Bible stories and showing him the good morals in it. You notice that? This is an awesome woman. I love God's design in family. Timothy is an example of it. And I want to encourage all of us tonight because we are living in a day and age where this is foreign. It's so unheard of to be taught to pray from your parents. It's so unheard of to even read the Bible at home and with your parents. To talk about the things of faith with mom and dad, that sounds weird. That's uncomfortable. That's strange. But guys, we must look at the word of God and believe and say, Lord, start with us. Start with me. You might not have such a heritage, and God is going to, in his goodness and grace, provide for you spiritual moms and dads. In this room, I know there's young men here who you lack a father. You don't have a mother to share with you the good things of the faith. You don't have that naturally. 
But that's not going to stop God from fathering you. He is a good father. And he will supply you with men and women in the faith that you can lean on and look to as mom and dad. And on Mother's Day and Father's Day, you don't have to feel weird and sad. You can rejoice and say, thank you, Lord. And I wonder if that's why Paul goes to great lengths to say, Timothy, my true son in the faith. I wonder if that carried so much weight for Timothy to hear that from Paul. You're calling me your son. Yes, I'm your father. We don't know if Timothy's relationship with his dad was good. He was a Greek. Maybe he was absent. Maybe he was just beating people up. I don't know. But Paul needed to mention that. Family discipleship. The gospel getting passed from one generation to the next. This is God's beautiful design and his God-ordained way. This is why at our church here at Nu'uanu, we want to integrate gatherings as much as possible. As much as possible. We don't want to separate each other if we can help it. There's a place for that. There's totally a place to hang out with your peers. But you know what much of us do lack? Is parenting from other generations. I would encourage you and really plead with you, if, if you don't have parents who can disciple you in the faith, then look at church and pray to the Lord. I wonder if Timothy was praying one day, like, I, I would love, I, wanna, I want a godly man in my life. And then I wonder if that's when Paul came just walking through the town. I don't know. But Eunice discipled young Timothy by one, let me look at my notes, starting as early as possible, showering him with the word, showing him the way of salvation. Let's, let's keep going. That was verse one. Verse two. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. This is great. Timothy was admired by his brothers. I wonder how your brothers would speak of you, right? That's the first question. I was wondering, what did they say? What does it mean? Like, was they just like, oh yeah, Timothy, bro, he's on bala cause. He just, you know, is that what they're talking about? Or like, oh Timothy, yeah, he's he's so good at cooking, Paul. Brother can, brother can cook. Here's my guess, my 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 educated guess as to the kind of things they they might have said. This is what Paul says of Timothy. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 to 24. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him. Timothy's one of a kind. There's no one like Timothy. He's special. He's unique. I wonder if the brothers said stuff like that about Timothy. Who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I wonder if the brother said to Paul, that young man really cares about people. That guy's got a heart. Paul, you looking for someone to soldier up with? That kid over there. Genuinely concerned. It's not fake. It's not fabricated. It's not like a, how are you doing? You know, and you don't really, really care. He's really like, he's that kind of man. Genuinely concerned for others' welfare. Verse 21. For they all seek their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. Paul is speaking of how Timothy's concerned. He's genuine. 
He's genuinely concerned, and he's concerned for the cause of Christ. He's not just concerned about their bank account. I'm sure he was. He's not just concerned if they had food to eat. I'm sure he was. But he was more concerned with, do they know Jesus Christ? I wonder if this is how the brothers spoke of Timothy. Verse 22, Paul says, you know Timothy's proven worth? How as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel? Therefore, I want to send him to you. Timothy's a team player, man. He's proven himself to serve well. That's probably what I imagine the brothers to be saying. These brothers who admired Timothy so well. What would the brothers say of us? Just think. What would those who are closest to you say of you? This is a great aspiration, but remember this, remember this. Don't forget this. Timothy's character is all overflowing from the character of Christ. Timothy learned this from Jesus. Timothy learned this from his mom, his grandma, who learned it from Paul when he was there in chapter 14. This is all glory to God. Because Jesus, there's no one like Jesus. Jesus is genuinely concerned. Jesus is proven faithful. I love Timothy. I'm so convicted by him at the same time. Because honestly, how often do we lack these things? But Timothy, he was admired by his brothers. Maybe tonight you're more in the boat of like, my brothers would not speak well of me. I'm more a bad example than a good one. You know, Paul tells him, he set an example for all the believers, speech, life, love, faith, purity. And you're sitting there in your seat thinking, I serve my brothers and sisters more by being a bad example. Don't do this. I'm, that's me. I know that full well. There are numerous times in my journey and in my faith that I cringe and I'm embarrassed by the things I've said and the things I've done and the example that I've set before people in this very church growing up here. But, amen. It's adorable. But I praise God for his grace and his forgiveness. If that is you, you're, you're not a good example, then don't just wallow in that. You go to the cross Timothy, Paul, all these guys, Barnabas, like was said in observation time, they're all sinners just like you and I. These men and women, they didn't come to this place by their own sheer efforts. Christ saved them, and he sanctified them. If you are a bad example right now, then by the grace of God, stand up in grace and let the grace of Christ train you to renounce ungodliness. That's what true grace does. That's Titus. Titus says, the grace of God teaches me to renounce ungodliness. Don't use the grace of God to sin. That's what Paul says in Romans 6. No, you stand up in the grace of God. And you say, Lord, forgive me, a wretch, a sinner. I have not been a good brother. Brothers wouldn't speak well of me. If brothers were to stand up in church and testify of who I am outside this, this building, I would fall flat to my face in fear of you. And if that's you this evening, if that's us this evening, 
please don't be discouraged to the point where you do not see Jesus Christ. You go to him. Because when he bled and died and was buried and risen, it, it paid all your sin, past, present, future. Paul says in 1 Timothy, Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm the worst of them. Paul's not looking for a, a, a solid team it's eyeing everybody out based upon their own personal performance. No, he's seeing the faithfulness of God through this young man. That by the grace of God, he's matured to a place where he is genuine. He is now concerned for the cause of Christ. And he's a soldier. He's so soldier up that if I say, hey, Timothy, so we're going to this place, you mind if he gets circumcised? There's no pushback we read in the scripture. Timothy doesn't have a sharp disagreement. Timothy consents. He's that kind of man. But that was all over a time of sanctification. Well, Timothy's young. Yeah. Well, guess what? Mommy started real young. Mommy was disciplining all that flesh out from baby time. This is why, this is why I get so passionate and excited about imagining right here in this place, just imagine all of us here deciding in our hearts, God, if you tarry and you give us years and you bless us with marriage and children, we are going to acquaint those babies with the sacred writings of Scripture. We're going to raise them in the faith. We're going to ask the Lord, help me and my wife, help me and my husband to model the grace of God as best as we can. That's the type of dreaming young men and women should have. Not just make money, buy big cars, and be a celebrity. That's weak. That's your dreams. No, faithful, God-fearing husband, wife, father, mother. I pray that by God's grace, he would take all of us where we're at right now. And months will turn to years, and years will turn to decades. And by the grace of God, we will have a track record where brothers and sisters would look at you. Let's see. Oh, yeah, John Allison. It's my man. He loves the Lord. Oh, Khalil Salazar, pff, totally faithful. You know, we will speak well of each other. Tani Kuyesa, Letty Morales, Han. Oh, yeah, awesome sister. I'll gladly write you a recommendation. But not one of those, um, hmm. <laughs> Wherever you're at right now, tonight's the night. It's called repentance and faith. Don't put all the pressure on yourself to be like this. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ that lives through me. Verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So Timothy was admired by the brothers, and now Timothy is desired for the ministry. Paul, the apostle, the great epic missionary, wants this young man. He's heard enough. Okay, bros, this is great. I want that guy. And I just love that Paul wants another team member. He doesn't say, nah, no need. He's too young. He wants more on his team. He wants Timothy because he now knows and sees this guy is useful for the ministry. This is an instrument that God is going to tear down 
the gates of Hades with. Oh, I pray and I believe that there are men and women in this place that God in his spirit is going to use you for the ministry. Whether that's vocational or just called to where you're at, at the restaurant, in the home raising your children, at the bank, whatever it is your vocation is. Would someone like a Paul say, I want you with me? Romans chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Do not present your members, the members, your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. That's what Timothy is. That's what Paul sees in Timothy. Oh, God's going to use you. You're going to do damage for the kingdom. You down, soldier up, let's go. So he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through these cities, they delivered to them the observance, the decisions that has been reached by the apostles for the elders uh, and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So we talked about this a bunch in observation, which is great. We're already leaning towards this idea, and I'll show you with some scripture. But Timothy and Paul, they do. They, this is, they're exuding a Christ-like consideration. It's laying down of their preference to reach people. It's a missionary mindset. It's strategic. It's called wisdom. It's called prudence. Remember that in the council, the, the issue was, do you need to be circumcised to be saved? This is not the issue here. There's another young man named Titus that the issue was that, and Paul says, no, we're not going to circumcise him. So Paul is not just this like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to decide. He knows now. Timothy understands he's not doing this to be saved. That's not the, matter. That's not the issue here. We're going to lay down our preferences. We're going to take pains. Timothy, you're going to take some physical pain. Okay? I'll do the surgery. Don't worry, Timmy. I got you. Just bite on this. Yeah. If you don't know what circumcision is, look it up. Very painful surgery that a young man. I don't imagine Timothy being like, oh, awesome. Yeah. You know, I don't imagine that. I don't imagine that. I imagine this was, this took some like guts, you know, like, um, and I don't know. The scripture doesn't say maybe Timothy was down. I don't know. Maybe Timothy. I'm, I'm part Jewish. I've always wanted to do this growing up. All my, all my friends were circumcised, and, you know, when we're at school and after PE, I'm just like, oh, how come I'm not? You know, I don't know. We don't know. We don't really know. It doesn't say. It doesn't say. But I would argue to say that this was hard. This was really not, wouldn't have been a preferred preference for me, amen, brothers? No way. Not at this point in life. Um, so I do believe what, what Paul is doing and I'll give you some of the scriptures from his letters where we kind of see this, is 1 Corinthians 9, 22 to 23. It says, to the weak I became weak. Weak in what? Weak in faith. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. So what's motivating Paul and Timothy to lay it down? And even though they don't need to, Timothy gets circumcised because he knows that there's going to be some Jews that's going to be hard. They're going to, hey, aren't you, isn't your dad a Greek? They're going to have all that cultural background. And 
Ugh. And so Paul is like, so this is what I'm thinking, Timothy. Let's just do it. So when we get there, just, I don't know how long the conversation went. I don't know how it went by your word. But nonetheless, Timothy consented. Why? Because he was, he had Christ-like consideration. It's worded like this in Philippians 2, 3 to 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Timothy was a man who was so genuinely concerned about others that he would really undergo this physical pain for their sake, for the cause of Christ, the gospel. That's a big deal, man. That's something I pray that we pray, God, give us that. We're so inconsiderate. We're so about our opinions and our rights and I'm going to do me. When's the last time you honestly was like, I'm going to lay down my preference and my desire to see the cause of Christ grow in this young man or woman or whoever it is you're trying to reach. This is a Christ-like spirit for the sake of the gospel. As long as it doesn't cause sin and as long as it's not a means of salvation, all things to all men. I say that because in my younger years, when we heard stuff like that, all things to all men. <laughs> all right. I would sell drugs to reach the drug dealer. Yeah. Uh, I'm going I'm to hop in on, I'm going I'm to I'm hop in and steal stuff to reach the thief. No, please no. We don't use the grace of God to sin. No, no, no. That's not what they're doing. And this is not for means of salvation. I say that silly, but really, like, that's not. Because that's a real crafty justification Satan can weasel in and make you think, oh, I'm going to go do ministry. I'm going to reach them. And you will compromise the faith by breaking God's word. And you're not being a witness. You're actually solidifying their sinful lifestyle by approving of it, by practicing it with them. And so don't go preach the gospel to them after you deal drugs or steal this or do that. No, no, no. That's called hypocrisy. And that's why there's so many people out there who say, I don't want to go to church. They're all hypocrites. They're just like me. And then they talk about Jesus. No. This is not what it means to be all things to all men. Let's finish the text. We made it. Verse 5. Home stretch. So Paul and Timothy's considerate, Christ-like consideration, it was a strategy. And God seems to bless this strategy. It, they, they have fruit. Look at verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. A few things I want to just note. The church was strengthened in the faith, and then they increased in numbers daily. We are living in a day and age where if you've been in the church long enough, there's so much, there's such a great longing for and desire for like church growth strategies and how to build a church and blow it up and get a lot of people. <laughs> if your means is anything but the faith, I barf that out. That's disgusting. It's nauseous. It's, it's not how clever and pragmatic we are and like, oh, you know, let's put signage here and let's get lights and fog machines and let's get free food and get a really good band and, 
you know, or let's, let's get someone who's very funny as a speaker. If these are the means in which the church is growing, it's not Christianity. Look, I wish they would read this verse, or verses like this. Verses like Acts chapter 2, verse 47. And the Lord added to the number daily of those who are being saved. That's church growth. The Lord was adding. The Lord was saving souls. How? By the preaching of the gospel. By the telling them straight, you're a sinner under the wrath of God if you're in your sin this evening. And there's no escaping God. There's nowhere to run and hide. You cannot. Everyone here will drop dead. We all have a, a time limit. We're all going to expire. I don't know how long my life is. But when I die, because I will, Romans 14 says, I will come before God, a righteous, holy God, who I must give an account. And I am a wretchful sinner. And I will deserve the wrath of God unless someone paid my price. Unless someone took my place. Unless someone atoned it all. And unless that's really true. And unless he's really God. And unless he really died. And unless he really rose. That's the Christian faith. And you repent, you trusted him, and you follow him to the end. It's good news. It's his righteousness, not yours. Christianity is not trying to be good and get all the rules right. It's a romance. I'm struck by this. I can't help but walk 270 miles, says Paul. This is so good news, i got to get it to them. The churches were strengthened by that. And of course the numbers grew. Because people were going out like wildfire, not just preaching a gospel, but living it. There was more Timothys and Tituses and men and women and family loving, genuinely concerned about the neighbor and genuinely wanting them to know Christ and laying down their lives and their preferences. Souls are being saved. This is how the church grows. It's gospel growth. That's the only real growth there is. I pray, we must pray for our pastors, our deacons, our leaders in this church, our, all of our church members, that we don't get swept by the spirit of the age thinking that this is how to do church. No, it's always been this. It's always been faith in Christ. It's always been the word of God. It's always been by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord builds the team. That's what Paul's learning. Got Silas, now Timothy. And the Lord builds the church. And it says in Matthew 16, the gates of Hades won't stand a chance. There was a lot that we covered. I pray that the Holy Spirit would take his word and help land on areas that right now in all of our individual lives and us as a church need to hear. You've heard things about Eunice. I pray that her life is beginning to disciple you. You've heard many things about Timothy. I pray that his example for us is discipling us right now. And remember, Eunice and Timothy, all these men and women in the faith, it was all by the grace of God. Come to Christ this evening. Please, I'm begging you, don't fake it. Know that you're a Christian. Know that you're his child. Know what you believe. Today is the day of salvation. If you've not truly trusted him, I'm begging you, examine yourself to see, do you really believe? Do we really believe? Father in heaven, there's no name under heaven 
by which man is saved, only Jesus Christ. Thank you for Paul and his passion for the nations and for the gospel. Put such a fervor in us that if perhaps in this place you're marking men and women to cross the seas, to walk by foot from village to village, raise them up and send them out. And perhaps some of the men and women that you're going to do through this church are not even born yet. Perhaps we're going to be the mommies and daddies that raise them in the faith. We're going to be the Loises and the Eunices and the Timothys and the Pauls to nurture these young babes in the faith in a very dark and depraved generation. Perhaps it's the little ones that we saw walking through the hallways earlier that will grow up and be the missionaries to be sent. We don't know. But God, wherever we're at, start right now. Call us to Christ. For every soul that might be laden and heavy with their sinfulness this evening, as we looked at Eunice and Timothy, we know we fall, fall very far short from them. Lift up our heads. Help us to come to you. To approach the throne of grace with confidence. We're still breathing. There's still time. The offer's still there. Don't let another minute or moment go by where we do not tap, plunge into the grace of God. I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here. Thank you so much for bringing us into this place. Thank you for this church. We pray that you would build it by your grace and for your glory. Thank you again for another evening of Bible study. Help us to live it out now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen.